Grace and peace, my friends. Why don't we take another 20 seconds or so? Brothers and sisters of Mars Hill, I say to you another grace and peace. I would like to uh, like to introduce everybody to the scripture reader for this morning. I'd like to introduce everybody to the scripture readers for this morning. Surprise, you are the scripture reader for this morning. Everybody, yeah, there you go. And so, our passage today will come from Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Here's how we'll do it. I'll sing this refrain. I'll lead us in this refrain. And then we'll all read the scripture together. Yeah? Okay. You're a good, good father. So you are. Who you are and I'm not 
knows how to make an entrance, this guy. Uh, hey, friends, the Lord be with you. My name is Troy, um, and one of the co-lead pastors here. Um, every week, this is, this is just, maybe you don't care. Um, <laughs> I always write all my words ahead of time and then try to memorize them. Um, and then, uh, but I always have a piece of paper up here. Okay, so I read from a piece of paper. Um, here's what it says on my piece of paper today. Insert obligatory football thing here. Now, I didn't watch this football thing. I had to look last night for a, I believe they're called scores. I had to look for a score last night. So I, I, but I figured there's not a sermon being preached in the state of Michigan today that doesn't begin with some kind of football thing. So Denise, thank you for doing that because I was going to have to make something up. Um, here we go. This is our second week in this series that we're calling Abide, that we'll be uh, uh, working our way through until the beginning of Advent. Um, and uh, our hope, just so you know, our hope is that this series is going to be really practical. We want to uh, actually point us toward things that we can do. We don't want to just simply talk about why we think these things are important. We hope to offer you ways of actually living into them so you can participate. We don't just want to talk about things, but we want to really do things. And so that's one of our hopes. Keep us accountable. If that's not actually happening, let us know, particularly Denise, as we said here. Um, uh, Last week, Ashley began this series by, uh, by talking about Scripture. Scripture as a pathway to encountering God. And this week, um, I'm going to talk about prayer. So if you've got a Shed Bible, I want to invite you to turn to page 958. If you have another Bible, I want to invite you to turn to that page, wherever Luke 11 is. That's where we're going to center our attention this morning is on Luke chapter 11. We heard the uh, final couple of verses uh, that you read so beautifully, and then we're going to uh, begin at the beginning of that. Before we get too far down this path, here's what might be helpful. It might be helpful if I define our terms. What is it that I mean when I say that we're going to talk about prayer? Because I'm guessing if we uh, went around the room and asked everyone here, we would get a couple of hundred definitions and descriptions of prayer. It's sort of hard to nail down. And I'll, I'll say this, I certainly don't feel qualified to give the definitive once and for all definition of prayer. What I want to do instead is I want to offer you an image. I want to offer a picture of prayer. Um, a picture that I think is still really consistent with the scripture at large and particularly the scripture that we have today in this Luke 11 text. Uh, it's an image that I hope will both capture our imaginations and our hearts and will be a way for us to walk towards greater intimacy and uh, connection with God. Uh, this image came to me from a woman named Bonnie Thurston. Bonnie is a, she's a former New Testament professor, and she wrote a, a, what I think is a wonderful book on prayer called For God Alone. In that book, she says this. One of the ways she describes prayer is this way. Prayer is saying to God, here I am, find me. 
here I am, find me. A few weeks ago, uh, my little family was at the park by our house. And um, uh, while Maggie was prowling around trying to pick up every stick in the world and also trying to walk up slides that she's much too small to walk up, there was another little girl playing with her dad. Um, It was very, very cute to watch. A little girl, I'm guessing three-ish, and she and her dad were playing hide-and-seek in the park. And it was really adorable. It was adorable to watch her cover her eyes while her dad went and very poorly hid behind a tree. And then, and then she would stop counting and she would start immediately saying, Daddy, 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 as she ran around trying to find him. It was great. And then they switched places and dad would hide, cover his eyes, and she would run to hide. And then when dad said this, ready or not, here I come, this little girl repeated her previous practice and immediately said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy giving away her hiding spot, just like that. It was obvious, you watch a couple of rounds of this, same practices, it was obvious that for this little girl, the most important part of the game wasn't the hiding part, it was the being found part. Daddy, Daddy, here I am, find me. Hold on to that image, that picture of prayer, as we look at Luke chapter 11. I want to highlight in this text, I think, four aspects of prayer. More than just aspects or observations, though, I think that I I want to point out four ways, four pathways of prayer that I think really do lead us towards greater connection, greater intimacy with God, keep us connected to the vine, help us to abide. So, That's what we're going to do. Let's begin at the beginning of Luke 11 um, at verse 1. It begins this way. Uh, So one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's stop there. The first aspect that I want to highlight in prayer is humility. Humility. The posture of this request of the disciples at the very beginning here, Lord, teach us to pray. This is the starting place for all prayer. Whatever form someone wants to use, it's all beginning here. Humility. Lord, teach us to pray. I think that humility, it means at least these two things as it relates to prayer. First, I think that it means this. It means that we acknowledge that there is no such thing as an expert in prayer. There are no experts in prayer. No one is an expert. This request, Lord, teaches to pray. It's a recognition that every one of us needs help and guidance and understanding. I'm going to return to Bonnie Thurston again. You'll hear her name a couple times. Uh, She said this as it relates to prayer. We are all beginners. That may be enough for some of you today. That when we're talking about prayer, to hear somebody say out loud that we are all beginners in the life of prayer. I hope that someone in this room took a deep breath and relaxed. We are all beginners in this life of prayer. 
and we will always be so. Because God is so vast, and God's gift of prayer, it has infinite dimensions for exploration. If you feel like prayer is difficult, if you feel like you don't know enough to pray, if you are convinced you don't know how to begin and you don't know what to say, I want you to hear this. You are in good company. The disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to do this thing. There are no experts. Here's a little picture for you to see. This is a quick glance at a couple of books. In my little cubicle upstairs here, um, a couple of my bookshelves, I wanted to pull off of the, just those shelves, how many books do I have that are focused entirely on prayer? This is just in my own little space, nine different books entirely on prayer. That doesn't count what's at my house. If you had any curiosity whether one of the co-lead pastors of this church was an expert on prayer, let me set your mind at ease. He is not. I am a novice. I, I am a beginner as well. I have to, with humility, consistently say, Lord, teach me how to pray. I am also a beginner. So that's one thing that humility must mean. A second thing, I think humility must mean this, that we all come to prayer recognizing that everyone is needy. No one is an expert, and everyone is needy. Now, this is not a really comfortable place for most of us to begin, but I think it's vital to prayer, and it's vital to abiding in Jesus, to admit to your own limitations, to admit to your own need. Harold Bloom, one of the books in that stack that I showed you, he wrote this. He said that all prayer must start with this, with a kind of weakness, which means being completely supple, completely transparent, completely abandoned in the hands of God. Friends, our neediness is not a barrier to prayer. It is, in fact, a catapult into prayer. A catapult into it. One of the promises that I cling to as it relates to the prayer comes out of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Another translation says it this way, that the Spirit helps us. The Spirit literally prays for us with sighs too deep for words. Do you take really good comfort that somebody in the Bible admitted that we don't know what to pray for? I find that so comforting. I'm so glad that's in the Bible. A humble attitude, recognizing that no one is an expert and that everyone is needy. This is the appropriate starting place for all prayer. Okay, let's keep going in Luke 11. Luke 11, oops. Bookmarks. Luke 11, we find uh, these words from Jesus. Verse 2, uh, Jesus said to them, when you pray, stop there. 
when you pray. The second aspect of prayer that I want to highlight here is habit. Notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, if you can fit it in, pray some prayers. If it's convenient for you, pray. No, Jesus appears to assume that his disciples will be praying, that it will be part of their lives. And this makes sense because it was a normal part of Jesus' life. Jesus had a habit of prayer. He modeled it. His disciples would have surely noticed it. They would have known this. Just looking in the book of Luke, just this one that we're in, there are two really key places where we find it established that Jesus had a habit. At the beginning of Jesus' life, chapter 5, it says this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then at the end of Jesus' earthly life, chapter 22, it says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and then in 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed. Two verses, both ends of the life of Jesus, establishing Jesus had a habit of praying. And following his example, he's calling us into that habit as well. Um, Dallas Willard, one of these loved Christian authors uh, who's passed away at this point, he, when he was encouraging people towards a healthy spiritual life, toward maturity, toward growth, he had a phrase that he returned to often. He would say, every one of us needs a plan for righteousness. We need a plan for righteousness, a way of establishing habits and practices in your life that will move you more and more to Christ-likeness. What does it mean for your prayers? How do you find a way that prayer is part of your plan for righteousness? How do you make prayer a habit? Consider that. It might sound too simplistic, but I believe this sentence I'm going to say is true. That we learn to pray by praying. It's not ultimately by reading books. We learn to pray by praying. May our lives, may your lives, may the life of our church be described like Jesus' life that we withdraw often and that we, as usual, go somewhere to pray. Let's keep going. Luke 11. Continue in verse 2. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Stop, please. Third aspect that I want to highlight here is relationship. As Jesus begins to formally teach his disciples about prayer, he begins with a word of relationship. Now, please don't get too hung up on the masculine language of Father. Jesus doesn't have an agenda here. He's not trying to define God's gender. He's using words of intimacy. This is intimate language. And so Jesus says, when you begin to pray, consider this intimate. He's pushing us towards relationship. This theologian named Catherine Wright, I think that she is, well, I think she's right 
when she wrote this, when she said that this language of Father is actually Jesus seeking to personalize the love of God. Father is a way of personalizing the love of God. This is a way of continuing to cement the relational heart of God. It's a word that confirms to us that we are not dealing with an impersonal force, with some far-off distant clockmaker who winds things up and then steps back and lets whatever happens happen. This is not what we're dealing with. This word and Jesus' instruction here is trying to say to us, when you pray, you can be confident in the relational heart of God. When Jesus is giving illustrations here, we read some of them. When Jesus is teaching about prayer, he uses illustrations, and in both of them, he appeals to relational categories. He talks about a friend asking for bread. And he talks about a parent giving good gifts to his children. That Jesus is trying to say prayer is a relational activity. Don't miss this. And this is consistent with the entire biblical story. Think about this. When, when I read this, when I think about this image that I offered you at the beginning, here I am, find me. I can't help but to think all the way back to the beginning of the story, to Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? There's a man and there's a woman, and they're in a garden, and they hear God walking around. And when they hear that, what do they do? They hide. And God's reaction is what? He calls out, where are you? Where are you? And what we see in that little text is a picture of this relational God looking for, seeking out his friends, seeking out his children. Brothers and sisters, we're always hiding in the bushes, aren't we? We're always hiding in the bushes. And from the very beginning of time, in every minute and hour of your life and my life, God has been faithfully calling, where are you? Where are you? And so when we say, when we pray with confidence, here I am, find me, we do that because we trust in a God who throughout all of human history has been looking for us, has been looking for his children, has been looking for his friends, who's on the lookout, who comes running whenever we appear in the distance, who answers when we knock, and who gives good gifts when we ask because our God is relational and prayer is a relational activity. Final thing I want to say about prayer, final aspect I want to talk about is transformation. Jesus goes on to teach in the beginning of Luke 11 here. Uh, he teaches the disciples to ask for specific things. He teaches them to pray, give us and forgive us. 
and lead us. I, th I think that probably for many of us, one of the struggles that we have with prayer is that we're not sure that it works. For many of us, we're not sure that prayer does anything. We're not sure that it matters when we pray. And so what happens for many of us, if we pray at all, is that we default to a kind of generic prayer that doesn't really ask for anything. And frankly, a kind of prayer that doesn't really say what we mean. It doesn't really say what we want. But it looks to me in Luke 11 like Jesus' disciples pray differently. Not only can they be confident in the relationship with the God that they're praying to, but they can pray with expectancy, that they can ask for things to be changed. They can ask for God to act and to move. Jesus teaches here to pray confident that transformation is possible. Give to us. Forgive us. Lead us. Now, now, we've all got a whole series of prayers that appear to have gone unanswered throughout our lives. I know I've got mine. I'm sure every one of you have got yours. And frankly, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. Except to say this, to encourage you and to encourage myself to pray as Jesus taught here, to pray faithfully with expectancy, asking for direct answers, results, asking for God to act, for God to give, to forgive, and to lead. One more return uh, to this woman, Bonnie Thurston. I love this perspective as it relates to transformation. She writes this, My own sense is that a good deal of what happens in prayer is the change in me, which might be more important than what happens out there as a result of my prayers. The change in me. Because I believe transformation is always happening. That God is faithfully finding you and me when we call. And he's continuing to mold us and to shape us to look more and more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory. You and I, we are being transformed by God. It is happening. So here I am. Find me. It's this prayer of humility. It's a prayer we can pray regularly. We can establish a habit. It's a prayer that is rooted in relationship, trusting in the one who will leave the 99 to find the one who is lost and alone. And it is a prayer that is confident, that wants things to be different, 
that seeks transformation. I've asked Brian Catlett to join me for a couple of minutes here. He's our congregational care pastor. And I wanted to ask him to help us turn pragmatic, to turn practical. Brian has been helping our staff and our volunteers and our community at large to re-engage with renewed energy and passion, uh, to, to be a, a church that faithfully prays. And so I just wanted to ask him to give us a couple of glimpses of how we can more faithfully live into this. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Trey. Good morning. Yeah, so in an attempt to be really practical, uh, we just want to follow up on what Troy has taught and the importance that we as a staff and as a community want to place on prayer. We want to be a people of prayer, people animated by the Spirit through prayer. So very practically, we have a lot of resources available to allow you to step into prayer, whether it's planning your personal time of prayer, praying as part of our community or for our community. The first place I'd love you to go is marshill.org slash prayer. We have one-pagers or two-pagers that will help you create your own personal time of prayer, give you words or uh, touchstones to build off of, and there's some great websites that we link to from there also. Uh, something else you can do there is visit our virtual prayer wall, which many of you have been to before, but this is a place where people in our community are submitting prayer requests, and you can very intentionally and specifically pray over people in our community, and that is something Thing we're called to do as the church and also is a real gift for us. So I'd love for you to go there. Um, you can also find opportunities to serve on prayer teams within this community or join us for Wednesday morning prayers as well. So a lot of resources there. Again, marshill.org slash prayer. And now as we step into this point in our gathering, there are really three ways we're inviting you into worship. And I feel like two of those we do a pretty good job of making you aware of, and the third is something I want to call our attention back to. Uh, the first is coming to the table and taking the Eucharist, which Troy's going to lead us through in just a few minutes. That's one way we step into worship in this time. Another is Delwyn and the worship team will be up here. We'll be singing songs and worshiping together. It's a very specific way we step into worship. But the third is prayer. We have prayer walls around the back. We have our prayer team uh, today. I know John and Mary and Paul, who are members of our prayer team, will be either by the prayer room or over by the mural. I'll be back there as well. That's a specific way that you can step into worship as well. And I just want to encourage you all, you, you don't need to be in crisis or in an emergency to go back there and be prayed for. These are really faithful, godly, spirit-filled people who would love to pray with you and for you. Um, we've had situations where people in the past have just said, I felt a prompting to be prayed for. I have no idea what I need prayer for. Will you pray for me? And those are some of the most beautiful and transformational moments that I hear stories about in my role um, as a care pastor, but I also know there's a lot of us who are carrying some really heavy and difficult things right now. So I just encourage you to use that time to go to those people who are anxious to pray for you and with you. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks, yeah I, 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 let me lend my voice to that as well. I would love to normalize for our church that prayer is something that happens here. Not just that it's like an, an event or it's like a, a, an element in our service, but prayer is what we do. 
Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't have to wait for after the sermon for that to happen. But prayer is what we do here. And one of the ways I think we step into normalizing that is to faithfully seek it out. It's not just to know that it's there, but to faithfully step into it. And so, um, yeah, with Brian, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be around this area every single uh, time we come to the table to say whoever has a sense, I, like Brian says, I love, that's happened to me as well. I love those times when people are like, I don't know what I need to ask you for. I just need to ask to be prayed for. And it's a moment to say, Spirit, speak. It's a, someone who is saying, here I am, find me. I don't even know what the words are. So I'd love for us to normalize that as part of what we do together every single week. And we're going to move, uh, move to the table here. And I, I want to say that when we do this, uh, we encounter the same four aspects that I was just talking about. Humility, habit, relationship and transformation. We encounter them when we come to the table. As the Apostle Paul is telling the story of Jesus, and he's pointing to this meal, he says something like this. In one translation, as often as you do this, in other words, whenever we make this moment in our service the central shared worshiping habit, whenever that happens, we are to do that in remembrance of Jesus, Jesus, who made himself nothing, who took on humility to the farthest extent, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus, the one who embodied laying down his life for his friends, forever cementing the reality of the uh, relational heart of God. Jesus, who defeated death with his death, transforming what appeared to be the end into a new beginning, inaugurating the new creation so that you and I may be made like him, that we might be transformed into his likeness. This is what we encounter in this meal. So friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And then praying together. So God, we lift up our hearts in thanks and praise to you, God of truth, because you have dealt wondrously with us. Constantly meeting your people in their shame rescuing them from trouble, calling us back again to your promise to always be with your people, finding us whenever we call. So we gather expectantly in your midst, God of grace, because you promise that your people will eat in plenty and be satisfied. So meet us again through your spirit, through this bread and this cup, that they may be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Here we are, Father. Find us and feed us, we pray. And amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, every one of you take this and eat. This is my body broken for you. 
And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and drink. This is the, the blood and the new covenant shed for you in the forgiveness of sins. So take, eat, and drink. And whenever we do this, we proclaim his death until he comes. This story, this wonderful story we try to summarize with this inheritance that we have given to us from generations and generations of people, summarized in three really simple phrases. We gladly declare every single time we gather. And so joining our voices, we say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat with us, sing with us, pray with us. And in all those ways we say, God, here we are, find us. Amen.